turn with me to Romans chapter 1. So uh, I gave a message this morning. That again, I think it's for the church. I believe it's what the Spirit is saying to us as a fellowship. Uh, not because there's issues now, but there will be someday. We need to get, the, get our, uh, our responses uh, worked out beforehand. But try to listen in to this morning's message somehow. Podcast. Uh, Caleb's getting, uh, he's done really well to get it uh, posted. And there's live streaming you can watch as well. And so try to get that message. Uh, it's, it's entitled, How Do You Know When You're Mature? We're going to do a few how do you know in the series. How do you know when to confront? How do you know when forgiveness is finished? Uh, there's a number of them. How do you know when you're... How do you know if you're committed? There's a number of things that we'd like to explore down that road over the next few weeks. And so anyway, try to get this message if you can, okay? Romans chapter 1. Go with me to verse 11, 11 and 12. Paul's saying, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So Paul expected two things that we see right away. He expected that wherever he went, the gifts of spirit would be released. He, he just expected that to happen. He's when I come, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to impart to you spiritual gifts. So he's determined, he's... He's got that in his heart. And then he realizes, and he says, he says, you know, but I see something mutual. You've got something I need. You've got something in terms of faith. You've got something, uh, some kind of encouragement that I need as well. We're going we're gonna to encourage each other. We're going to have a very encouraging, faith-building time. So, but I've got something you need. What he doesn't say is very, very powerful here. What he doesn't say he doesn't say, seek the Lord in your prayer closet. Get all the gifts of the Spirit you can in your prayer closet. And when I come together, we'll celebrate. He doesn't say that. He saw himself as a carrier of grace. He saw himself as, as conduit that God would use him to impart the gifts of the Spirit. Now, uh, it's this verse and several others. We read these two uh, last time we came together, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, where Paul says to Timothy about gifts having been imparted to him through the laying on of hands and prophecy. And he's saying, stir up the gift that was given to you through the presbytery, uh, through the elders. Uh, these three verses, and there's others, but these three verses help me to see something. that I, I've thought about this now for 20, 30 years. And this might be a different idea for you, and I get opposition when I say it. So I, not everybody buys it. But I, I, think there, I think there's something to it. I think this. I think Jesus came full of grace. It says that in 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 14 and 16, that Jesus came full of grace, and he left it in the earth. And when Paul wrote about Ephesians six or Ephesians four, when he says that Jesus ascended and gave gifts to men, that he didn't take any of the gifts back to heaven with him. You don't need the gift of healing in heaven. Even the leaves of the trees can heal the sick in heaven. 
You don't need to be a prophet in heaven when God can speak directly. You don't need word or knowledge where everything's already revealed. Everything is revealed. You certainly don't need tongues and, and interpretation. You don't need discerning of spirits in heaven. There's no demons to discern. There's, everything is laid open. There's nothing to hide behind in heaven. Can you imagine having the gift of an evangelist in heaven? How, that'd be a kind of hell that you've got the gift of evangelism and you just want to get people saved and everybody you meet is saved. I mean, wouldn't that be awful? It'd be kind of a torment, wouldn't it? So, so these gifts are for here, they're now, they're not for heaven. Here's, here's what I think. Here's what I believe. It's taken a while to get confidence in believing this because it's a little different. I believe all the gifts of the Spirit, all the grace of God is in the earth, hidden in clay vessels. And the way we get it is through proximity to other people who have the grace that we need. And the grace moves from heart to heart, person to person, generation to generation. It doesn't come from heaven itself. It comes through relationship. It comes through contact. It comes through his body. If that's true, let's, let's follow that premise a little bit further. Let's say that's true. If, if all the grace of God is in people and the way you come into more grace is through relationship and contact, then we better stay close to people. We better stay in church. We better stay in the body and relate to the body in a proper way and relate to authority in a proper way. Because that's how you get more grace. When people become isolated, what the enemy's objective is, is to cut them off from the grace of God. And I see it all the time. And they just stop growing. They don't, they don't seem to be moving in a whole lot of grace. They don't seem to have uh, the gifts operating at the same level. They don't seem to have um, a good flow of the grace of God because they've been isolated. And I think that's... We talked this morning about offenses in church. I think that's what offenses are for. They're to, they're to offend you so you withdraw and you take your, it's kind of like the boy who said, I'm going to take my ball and bat and I'm going to go home, leave you on the field with nothing to play with. I'm taking my gifts and I'm leaving here. Or uh, I'm not going to draw grace from you because I'm offended at you. Here, here's the thing that's interesting. Uh, both Peter and James, they wrote, and they said that God gives grace to the humble. Well, it doesn't take very much humility to receive from Jesus. It doesn't take hardly any humility to receive from Jesus. He's perfect. His theology is perfect. He's altogether lovely. There's no one more beautiful than Jesus. It's easy to receive from Jesus. It's more difficult, it takes more humility to receive from each other. It takes more humility to receive from someone whose theology isn't all together, who has issues, who has offended. I had a pastor one time, and he, he told me, he said that the Lord had told him that he wanted to speak to him, and he was traveling through Europe, and the Lord said, I'm going to speak to you in this particular city. 
And so he was eager to get to that city to find out what the Lord was going to say. He got there, and this pastor met him and starts prophesying. But the problem was the pastor's theology was terrible. And it was really hard for him to receive the word of the Lord because the guy's theology wasn't at the same level as my pastor. And, and it was a real lesson for him. He realized, okay, that's God speaking, but the guy's not perfect. The guy doesn't have it all together. He's got some dysfunction and some weirdness. Here's where I want to go as a church. I want us to be able to draw grace from whoever comes in here as a guest speaker, even though we don't agree with everything they say. And you can say, no, we don't, we don't agree with their end-time theology or we don't uh, agree with their position on this, this piece of theology. But what they have here, man, we need that. And it takes maturity to be able to say, I don't have to believe everything you say. And I don't have to believe everything about you to accept the grace that you have. It's interesting that when Paul... Paul received all these revelations in the wilderness. Jesus would walk in, sit down, and talk to him in vision form. He did that for about three years. And then Jesus told him one day, he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem and lay down all your theology in front of the brothers and let them pick through it, let them discern it. And so Paul went down to, uh, to Jerusalem, and James is the leader of the church. He's there, uh, and, he, and he lays out... There's other apostles there. And he lays out all his theology. He says, this is what the Lord gave me. This is what the Lord taught me. And there's this beautiful line that said, it said that they perceived the grace of God in Paul. You can see grace. You can see it. I see it in people all the time. I see it in you. I see your grace. You can see grace in me. We see it in a guest speaker. So you can actually perceive grace and say, Let's, I'm going to give you the right hand of fellowship because I perceive grace in you. I see that you have the same ministry that, uh, to the Gentiles that Peter has to the Jews. And they perceive grace. I think the grace doesn't fall from heaven. It actually is in clay vessels. How many, any clay vessels here tonight? Are you a clay vessel? I mean, do you have it together? Are you... Are you a clay pot? I mean, it's not a good way to just describe it. I'm just a clay vessel. But inside me is the glory of the Lord. Inside me is grace. Inside me is the spirit of God. But I'm just a clay vessel. It's a perfect picture. And we need to draw. So here's the thing for Wellspring for the rest of our lives. We're going to have guest speakers and guest ministry. And we don't agree with everything or we don't know everything. We don't know some of the stuff that they're going to teach. They could share something that's, for us, it's a little off. But maturity, and I want to get our flock to a place of maturity says, well, I don't agree with that, but boy, he's got something over here that I need. I think that's a healthy way to live. Most of us come from a church background that says, unless the people believe everything we believe, we will not associate with them. With that comes uh, a disruption in the flow of grace. With that comes not even a river of grace, like an ever-shrinking pond rather than a flow of grace. I've been in those circles before. I know what they're like. I'm not going back there. 
I'd rather take the risk that the person may something off but have grace that we need than miss it. I miss the grace of God. If my premise is true, we need each other. If my premise is true, we got to hang out together. We have to be able to receive grace from people uh, who have what we need. Amen? All the grace that I have, uh, well, let me, let me see if I could say it this way. I'd been a young pastor, I guess, by this time. I, I can't quite remember the time frame, but I remember the Lord spoke to me one time. He says, write out six people, the names of six people, six people who changed your life. And I knew he didn't mean people I liked in ministry or people who I'd met that I liked. But who could I say, I, I got something from this person and it changed my life. Like, took my, my spiritual life to an entirely different level. And so I thought about it long and hard, and I wrote out a list of six names. And I was, I was so surprised when I looked at the list. Half of them were dead. I hadn't even met them. They were dead guys. Only, I think only two of them that I had actually met in person. Some of them, the grace that I got, I got through listening to cassette tapes. I hadn't even met them. Or there are some distant figure at a conference somewhere, but I had not met them. But they changed my life. And that's called impartation, where you receive grace from somebody else. And, and I realized that when I looked at the list, I thought, well, this is really interesting. I'm a little bit of everybody on the list. I can hear them in me. But they wouldn't, when I looked at the list, I thought they wouldn't even like each other. They wouldn't even share the same platform. They would, might even be at odds with each other. In other words, uh, for me to get the grace to become Penn Clark, I need to draw something from this guy. But this guy is so different from this guy over here, yet he's got something I need. I remember one time someone confronted me and they said, you draw from too many people. You should draw from this person here and this person only. And I thought, no, I actually, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a body. I love the body of Christ. I can draw I can draw from this guy. We can not even agree on 90% of the stuff, but that 10% is what I need. And the Lord showed me that I was free to do that. He said this. He said, you don't have to say, I'm with a Paul. I'm with Paul, and I'm with Apollos. And another guy says, I'm with Cephas. And then the super spiritual guy, he says, I'm only with Jesus. I don't draw from those guys at all. He said, it's all yours. It's all yours. I can draw from John MacArthur. I did this past year during COVID. Well, John, I, he wouldn't read my books, and I probably wouldn't read his books. But John MacArthur, I'll tell you, the way he stepped up with this whole COVID thing, I, my respect for him went, went up. I liked what he had to say. I liked the tone of his letters. I liked the grace that he had and how he navigated that thing. But John and I, we wouldn't agree on 95% of our theology would be completely the opposite. I was in a meeting in Argentina one time, and there was a false prophet there. 
And I had to confront him. I had to set him down and, and talk with him. But there was one moment in the meeting. He was an American guy down there ministering. And uh, we're in this barn, beautiful barn. And, and partway through his speaking, he said, the gifts of the Spirit are falling. They're falling now. They're falling all over this room. Reach up and grab them. Get a hold of them. Take as many as you want. The gifts of the Spirit are falling now. And people started going like this. I don't know what made me matter that crazy line of thinking that the gifts of the Spirit falls like dust. And you can, or, or the people, the people being exploited in their simplicity, they didn't know anything about the gifts of the Spirit. They didn't know the gifts of the Spirit doesn't come that way. You can't find that in the Bible where the gifts of the Spirit fell like that. They're grabbing at the air. They got, they got, they got hand fistfuls of nothing. The gifts of the Spirit don't fall like that. Although we see moments, we see Pentecost where the Holy Spirit fell and they started speaking in tongues. We know that that happened. There's a number of examples. In fact, you can go to one of the first examples is Numbers chapter 11. And it's where God speaks to Moses. Moses had been complaining and he'd been saying, Lord, why'd you make me the pastor of this, this people? They're such a burden to me. And and the Lord's solution wasn't to take him out of the ministry or take him home to heaven. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the spirit that's on you and I'm going to put it on the elders. He's got 70 elders and, and God took the spirit that was upon Moses and put it on 70 men and immediately they started prophesying. That's called impartation. Moses got it by himself. I don't know how he got it. If he got it at the burning bush, I'm not sure. There are times in history, there are times when an, an individual will press in and get grace all by themselves, but it's so rare. By and large, it comes where God takes something that's on somebody and puts it on us. I can tell you the person and the moment when, the, when God took grace from another person and put it on me. I can tell you when it happened. Every gift that I have, every calling I have was given. I sought the Lord in private. I sought the Lord in my prayer closet. But when he decided to give it to me, he did it in a public way through somebody else. That's called impartation. That's what we want for you. One of the reasons we're sending Aliyah out to Michigan is we want her to receive impartation because they have grace out there that we don't have here. And we want her to come home with her suitcases full of grace that can be dispersed here. Amen? See, we don't have it all. We need, there's just no way. Wellspring's a good little church, but boy, we don't have it all. We need other people. We need other, other pockets of grace. We need to uh, move around and find out what God's doing in other places and draw from that. We need to invite guest speakers in who can take us somewhere and take us to a level that we can't do from within ourselves because we just don't have that grace. We need that. I've seen movements, I've seen churches where they eventually disallow that because they, they feel they're going to become polluted and they end up becoming ever-shrinking ponds rather than a river. I just don't want to ever do that. Is that thunder? Wow. It's raining out there again.
There's three different ways that impartation works, three primary ways. There may be other ways that I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure, but there's three ways that I do know. There's three ways that I'm sure of. Um, the number one way that, that gifts move from one person to another is through the laying on of hands. These become like jumper cables where someone who has grace, they put them on you and that grace transfers from one person to another. That's why you see Jesus laying hands on the little kids and blessing them. That's why you see all through the Bible there's some kind of laying on of hands to either impart the Holy Spirit or uh, some kind of blessing. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they had an inheritance. They knew that if they could lay hands on someone, that inheritance would actually move from them to them, uh, to, the, to the person. When they get the, uh, Jacob, who's called uh, Israel, he gets to go in before Pharaoh. Joseph introduces him and says, this is, this is my dad. And, and, and Israel, he's just so full of it. Here he is, I don't know how old he is at this time. He's, he's 100 and some years old. And he just walks right up to Pharaoh and lays hands on him and starts imparting blessing to him because he felt like he had something to give away. That's the most amazing thing about this impartation thing. I'll get into places where I'm in way, way over my head. I don't speak the language. I don't know the people. I don't know, I don't know what, I, what I can give them. But then I'll just become aware of the grace that Jesus gave me through somebody. And I realize I've got something to give away. I've got, all I need to do is get there. If I can get there, something will happen. I feel like Paul in Romans 1, if I can just get there. I remember one time I was in Argentina, and my uh, translator was, was uh, very disorganized. And we were so late. We didn't cross the border at the right time. And, and we were so late. And we're talking to the people, and there's this uh, uh, church I'd never been to before. And we're telling them, we're on the way. We're an hour away or whatever. They were gathering already, and they'd worshiped. They had worshipped for hours, and they're just waiting. They're waiting, and they're waiting, and waiting. It was embarrassing to be in that position, but that's, that's. But the more we waited, the God was stirring me up in the car. Like I just knew when I got there, it was going to thunder. When I got there, rain was going to happen. Something was going to happen, and you know that whole audience, probably a thousand people, they stayed for hours just waiting, and the anticipation built. And when I walked out on that stage, it was like something fell, like just, just like something fell. And we had amazing time in the Lord. But I felt like I had something. I, it, it wouldn't have happened until I got there. And, and when I got there, he'd squeeze me like a sponge, and it would happen. And somehow they had that knowledge. I don't know how. They had never met me before. They didn't know me from Adam. But God put an anticipation in them that when this guy comes, something's going to happen. People are healed, saved, baptized in the Spirit, all of it just breaking out all over the place. We've got something to give away. Impartation, number one way, laying on of hands. Number two way, prophetic. And, and so Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, Timothy, you have a gift, and that gift is inside you. It didn't come from heaven. Didn't fall out of the sky. We gave it to you through the laying on of hands and prophecy and, and verbal impartation where somehow it's spoken. And I've had this happen at different times where people will say things and it's impacted and changed my life. The third way is, is through association where you watch them, you, you observe them, and through 
observing them, you actually become like them. That's what happened to the 12 disciples. They walked with Jesus so closely, imitating him, watching him. There's something, there's something in us as sheep where the, more, the longer we look like, the longer we look at something, the more we become like it. And, and they walked with Jesus. And so after the resurrection, when they're being arrested, they said, who are these uneducated men? Who are these men? And one of them said, they've been with Jesus. Well, they look like Jesus. They, they opposed corrupt authority the way Jesus did. They stood with boldness, but with humility. They said, where have we seen this combination? Usually when people were brought before the Sanhedrin, they'd completely fall apart. They're, they're, they would be so undone being brought before that, that tribunal that they would just fall apart. Well, these men didn't fall apart. They stood like a rock. But they didn't jut out their lip and they didn't get on that attitude. They stood there with humility and they said, what's better, to obey you or to obey God? They said, where, where, where have we seen this before? And someone said, well, they're, they've been with Jesus. Oh, yes. That's the way he used to talk to us. It's the same way. Association, imitation, we all imitate. From the time we're little children, we all imitate. You're imitating someone. In Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 22, 24, it says, Do not make friends, do not become friends with an angry man, lest you become like him. Because the power of imitation is so strong among us. So he said, don't make friendship with an angry man lest you become like him. You can take out the word angry, take it out respectfully, set it aside, and you could put in there all kinds of things. Don't make friends with a greedy man lest you become like him. Don't make friends with a lustful man lest you become like him. Don't become uh, uh, friends with a belligerent uh, scoffer because you become like him. It, we, we pick up from whoever we associate with. That's why it's really important to go with a group of people who are going where you want to go and becoming what you want to become. You can't get there on your own. You need to go with a, a, a group of people who are going in the same direction. We imitate all the time. In fact, there's nothing really original in me. I, maybe I've become more original, but I'm a composite. I'm a composite of grace from different people who've had an influence upon me. And maybe after a while, you become... You become original in that you're a blend, if that makes sense. Genesis chapter 38, verses 31 to 43, there's this crazy story where, you know, the whole story of Jacob. Uh, he's an under-shepherd, other Laban, his father-in-law, and his father-in-law's uh, carner. Uh, his father-in-law will do anything to get ahead, which was what Jacob means. His name means, I'll do anything to get ahead. Well, Laban would do anything to get ahead. So the way to get lay, the way to get that out of worked out of Jacob, he put him under someone who who he hated that that tendency within that father-in-law, and it helped work it out of his own life. Like it made him re recoil at the whole thing, and so he actually uh, would change his wages and all kinds of things. They had set a deal up for striped and speckled lambs, they they uh, or goats. 
and uh, they, they come up, cut this deal, and then the deal would get changed. And they'd cut another deal, and that one would get changed. But here's, here's the crazy story. Jacob, they made the deal for striped and speckled goats and, and lambs. So Jacob goes down to the stream that ran through, meandered through this meadow, and he took poplar trees, and he took his knife, and he got the servants to do it as well, and they cut strips and spots on the bark of the poplar trees, and then set them in the stream, and when the sheep would come down to drink, that's also where they mated, and next thing you know, they reproduced speckled and spotted sheep. Isn't that a crazy idea? Have you read that before and said, what? What is that? Well, we're sheep. That's in there because we do the same thing. We reproduce after our kind. You become like the pastor you're under. You become like the, chief, the people you're with. You become like your boss. You become like your dad. How many of you have ever seen a little guy walk by? His, his, his jeans hang on him just like his dad's. He's got his hat all a little crooked just like his dad's. And he wants to talk about hunting and farming just like his dad. He, we imitate. It's just so natural that we imitate. Somehow these sheep would look at these stripes and speckled as they drank and reproduced exactly what they saw. That's profound. I don't know the science behind that. I don't even know if I would believe the science behind it, but it's in the Bible. Here's what I do know. In Bible school, when I was in Bible school, we had, we had two teachers a week who came in off the field. They were missionaries, apostles, or prophets, uh, traveling, or, or, or pastors, and they'd come in for a week and teach us. We had two of those every week. And uh, we had this, uh, I mean, they were all different and the student body kind of morphed into whoever was before us. So we had this guy uh, come in, and he was a really sharp dresser. And he would take his, his shirt sleeves, and rather than just button the cuff, he would tuck them under, and it just kind of looked cool. And so he came for a week, and he's standing in front of us with those unusual cuffs all tucked under, tucked back. Well, the next week when the students came to church, came to class, we looked around, and here some of them had their cuffs tucked under. We laughed. We thought that was so funny. We just became like what we saw. We thought, well, that looks kind of different. That looks kind of cool. One of the most influential churchmen in China was a guy named Watchman Nee. And I remember when they, they, they arrested Watchman Nee and they put him in prison and he died in China uh, because of the communist takeover. But he was hugely influential. And uh, uh, there was an American missionary who was in Watchman Nee's church after he'd already been put in prison for a long time. And uh, he wrote about this. He said, when it was time to pray, all the people stood to pray, and they all began to pray out loud at the same time. And while they're praying, he could hear this little, little clicking sound while they prayed. So they'd be praying, and you could hear all over the auditorium. And he said to his translator, who was one of the pastors there. He said, 
what's that sound? He says, well, when Brother Need prayed, his dentures would slip. And it made a clicking sound. And so now when the audience or the congregation prays, they make the same sound. Isn't that wild? But it's true. True story. When I was a young disciple, I wanted to be a Bible teacher. I was getting, I was getting revelation, download of revelation at such a rate, such an amazing clip. But I had no outlet for it. I had no, no one would let me teach. No one would invite me to teach. Some of my friends would invite themselves. They'd call up a pastor and say, could I come teach for you? But God would, he forbid me to do that. So I'd have to wait for my pastor to invite me to speak. And it just didn't happen, hardly at all. I think I spoke maybe twice in about five years. I mean, I learned to preach other ways. Um, but I had very little opportunity in church to preach. And, um, but I wanted to be, I was preparing for the ministry. I didn't know what that would look like exactly, but I was preparing for the ministry and was very diligent in that. And one day the pastor came to me and he said, would you be willing to teach, uh, to, be, to serve in the church? And I said, yes. He said, uh, we need an assistant Sunday school superintendent. I didn't want to be with the kids. I wanted to be with the adults. I wanted to teach. We had an adult Sunday school class. I would have given my eye teeth to teach that class. But he said, no, uh, would you help, help the, the superintendent in the basement? Uh, I didn't want to go to the basement. You go to the basement, you never come out. You know, you're banished to the basement. And so... I was a little disappointed, to say the least, but I, I did it. I mean, he asked me to do it, and I wasn't getting anything else, so I did it. Well, the superintendent was a guy named Donnie Bowers. And uh, so my first week of being assistant superintendent is I stood against the wall with Donnie. And um, he didn't tell me what to do or tell me what my job was or anything like that. I didn't know. I just stood where he stood. Partway through the morning as he's observing the, the teachers and the kids, he'd, he'd lean over and he says, let's pray for this little guy here. He's, his parents are going through a hard time right now. Well, let's, let's pray for him. And so, so Donnie would pray. And I remember listening. I'm thinking, man, he cares. I mean, he really cares about that kid. Nobody cares like that. I'd, ne I'd never heard anyone care like that. And meeting after meeting, week after week, Donnie would say, well, let's pray for this one. This, this teacher's struggling today. She's having a hard time. Let's pray for her. And, and I couldn't believe this guy's heart. Like, he's got a heart of gold. He really, really cares. And after a, a period of time, something happened in my own heart where I'm saying, let's, let's pray for this one over here. Let's, let's, let's pray for that one because... That person's struggling. And next thing you know, I got Donnie Bauer's heart. So that when I became a pastor, I knew how to shepherd lambs and teachers and how to build a Sunday school. I didn't take any courses. All I did is stood, I stood against the wall with Donnie Bowers. And an impartation happened. Something caught. Something was given. It's a powerful thing. Who's influencing you?
Who are you listening to? Who will you influence? Because you're going to, if you're getting grace, you're going to be giving grace. We see it in the natural. We see it with Tim. Tim, Tim I remember him saying, I want to get this business off the ground. I want to go out uh, down into uh, Kentucky and get trained to, to do uh, detailing work and fixing bumpers and fenders and that kind of stuff and, and get this trailer. And so he went off. We missed him. He was away for a number of months, and we missed him. This before he was married. And, but since then, he's now got all these guys trained. And they just keep coming, and they just keep getting trained. And now he's the guy. You don't have to go to Kentucky. Just see Tim. He's got grace that came from Kentucky. And he got grace now that he can give away. It happens in the natural, happens in business, happens in music, happens with worship, happens on every level. But grace moves from heart to heart. I don't think very much of it comes directly from heaven itself onto our hearts. If it did, let's go down the road and say that's how it happened. There's something, there's something very American that is, that is so independent. He doesn't want to rely on anybody else. There's something very American in the American psyche that says, I need, I need all the tools in my garage. I don't want to have to ask a neighbor for a single tool. He can have all the tools, but I want, I want my own set. I don't want to have to have borrow. Uh, I don't have to depend on somebody else for those tools. And there's something very, this rugged individualism in America that's, that's unique. And uh, so that can cross over and, and get things mixed up when it comes to the grace of God, where we think, uh, I, need to have, I need to know everything, I need to be good at everything, and I need to be, I need to be, uh, uh, I need to have everything. And I don't want to have to depend on someone else to get it. So there's even a theology that goes with that. The theology says, you have the Holy Spirit. You have all the gifts of the Spirit. All the gifts of the Spirit are in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, all you have to be is a Swiss Army knife that whenever you are in need, you, if you need to be a pastor for the moment, they bring out that pastor uh, blade, and you could be a pastor. And then you get somewhere where you're, you need to be apostolic, bring out that apostolic and, and there's a time when you need to be evangelistic. Well, bring that out. And the toothpick, I mean, well, let's not even go there. That, that goes, the illustration sometimes goes too far. But we love Swiss Army knives because it's like all in one. And there's an American-style teaching. You don't hear it in other parts of the world. But the American-style teaching says you have all the grace you don't need to receive from other people. You have it all because you received the Holy Spirit. It's not true. It's not true. The reason it's not true is the Bible says, uh, to one, I give this gift. To another, the Holy Spirit gives this gift. To another, the Holy Spirit gives this gift. That's entirely different. Paul actually said, stir up the gift of God that is within you. He didn't say all the gifts that are within you and just stir them up when you want to. It's a very specific gift that was in Timothy. But just when you read 1 Corinthians 12 and it breaks down what the gifts are like, he said, to one, we give this gift. To another, we give this. That means we need each other. That means you'll never have all the grace that you have to function as a body. Isn't it interesting that when Paul's teaching about the gifts of spirit, he takes a sizable chunk 
of chapter 12 and talks about the body. And the more we love the body and the more we relate to the body, the more we, we understand how the body works, that I don't have it all, but this part of the body has what I need for when I need it and I need to draw from that. Well, that takes humility. That takes connection. It takes relationship. Nobody has it all. I don't have it all. This church doesn't have it all. We need the body of Christ. That individualism runs cross-thread the whole concept of the body of Christ. That's why we, when it's taught, I resist it. When it's taught, I oppose it because it's not biblical. It's not healthy. It's not true. If you want more grace, you seek God in your prayer closet and when he gives it to you, he's going to give it to you through somebody who has the grace you've been crying out for. They're going to lay hands on you. They're going to prophesy. Or they're going to be in close proximity where you become like them. It's going to come one of three ways or, or a combination of all of those ways, probably. If there's a fourth way, I'm not sure what it is. I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't thought of it or haven't seen it. But I know I've experienced all of those if you take the word follow, it's the word imitate. Run your references on the word follow. Paul said, follow me, imitate me, imitate my faith, imitate my integrity, imitate how I handle the word of God, imitate how I suffer, imitate how I handle money. He says it all. I mean, he says, if, if you do what I do, you'll have peace because I have peace. I've said that. It seems funny coming out of your mouth, but it's true. You can follow certain things because I've lived with it for so long that it, it, it's true. It works. It'll hold. It'll sustain you. It'll keep you. Amen? How many want more grace? Yeah. Pray to God. Ask him. Cry out. Don't give up. Keep raising your voice. Bug him. That's, that's, a, that's not biblical language, but that's really what it's saying. Just insist. Lord, I want this grace. I want this gift. I want this gift. I want this. I need this. I need this. I need. I want. I want. I want. And when he finally gives it to you, the Holy Spirit is the one who decides whether or not you have that gift. No one can decide that. People will come up to me and they say, will you impart something to me? And I, I, I can't. I mean, uh, I when he shows me, I do, and I've, I've imparted gifts everywhere I go, but it's, it's when I feel some leading of the Spirit. But all the gifts that I have, all the callings that I have, I can tell you when and through whom I received it. I got it through people. Okay? Is that helpful? Let's stand together. Father, I want this to be the most grace-filled church. I want people loaded for bear. I want people being able to operate in so many different aspects of grace, so many different hues, so many different colors. Graces, Father, graces, graces. Pour out your best upon everyone that's here tonight. I pray that you'd stir them up to seek you. You bring people in. You bring grace in that we don't have to impart to our people. Take us to another level, Father. Don't leave us where we are. Take us higher. Take us deeper. In the name of Jesus. Amen.